I've been jealous for a long time, it seems like, of those who get to lead in worship after Ricky and the praise band and the choir lead us. It's a, such a kick, you know. You know, it is, Kurt. It's just a kick. Thank you. We're talking about living and being a blessing in a city. 1954, a seven-year-old hick from Oklahoma. Dad had moved down with the oil industry and uh, had been down here six months. We moved down in April. I escaped from Oklahoma City. The only time, only other city I ever lived in was Oklahoma City before living in New Orleans. And all I got out of that was a first grade teacher who was trying to change everything about me. Anybody have that? No? Got an amen. I thought it would. My first grade, first first grade teacher in Crescent, Oklahoma was an angel. That lady in Oklahoma City, I don't know if she's going to be in heaven. I'm trying to forgive her today. <clears throat> but in the summer of 54, my dad brought, brought us to New Orleans. Country boy from Oklahoma in the French market. Those of you who remember it back then, wow, what an experience. And I was just overwhelmed and I still am with this city. What a place. The jazz music, the street entertainers, the coffee, you know, the food. And so I want to talk with you this morning, share with you this morning about being a blessing in a city, about putting all you have in God's hands into a city. And I'm not apologizing. I feel very sure. I'm, I'm so thankful the worship committee gave me this passage and this task. You know, I want to pause for a minute and think about this. You, you saw in the worship guide a note from our pastor search body. We, we are praying for them, right? Who's not praying for them? Raise your hand. We're going to get you. Okay, we are praying for them. And uh, in fact, let's pause just a moment right now. Now let's pray for them. Can we do that? In your heart, just, just lift them up. You know these people. And as you lift them up, realize that God has the person to lead this church somewhere. And God is bringing those people we know into contact with that person. He knows that we can have the pastor leader that he wants us to have. Pray with me. Lord, we pray for these, our friends. We pray that you would give them courage and strength and stamina and wisdom because those are gifts that you give. And we pray for this body that we might continue to to seek to understand who we are in stewardship and mission and purpose as we actively, constructively wait for you to bring your, your shepherd to this flock. 
And so, Lord, we pray for him and we pray for that body that leads us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to share with you, as I said, uh, this passage. My objective is for you and I to plug in. You may be sitting there and say, oh man, I'm already plugged in. I'm already doing at work everything I can. In my family, everything I can. In my church work, everything I can. I want us to plug in anew to what God wants to do in this city. And we're going to look at a, a case study. It's another country boy. Enthralling story. One of the sons of Israel, of Jacob. Jacob had an interesting family. Weird family, really, when you come to it. Had four wives. He would have been a good Muslim. The wife that he wanted to marry was the one that was barren for most of their married life. And then in his old age, after having 10 other sons, God gave Rachel a son. And she was in competition with her sister and the two handmaidens. And so when she named him Joseph, that's a Hebrew saying said, add to me more. <laughs> She wanted more sons to get equal. The love of her husband wasn't enough. She was a competitive woman. And she had Joseph. So we're going to look at Joseph. And we're going to look at how God used him as a foreigner in a city. Look with me in your Bible. It'll be up on the, on the screens if the screen's working. Uh, pray for the screens. You've already had flickers today. Uh, look with me at Genesis 41, verse 14. We're taking up the story in the middle. It's too long. It's one of the longest stories, narratives of a, of a patriarch's life. And we're taking it in the middle, and I'll, I'm going to flash back and go forward in it to try to get the whole story. But uh, look with me. Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed on the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I've never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate the first seven fat cows, yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. And I saw also in my dream, 
And behold, seven ears full and good came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears withered thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The ensuing dialogue, Pharaoh tells, is told that there's an, a famine coming in the land after seven years of prosperity and that he should choose someone responsible to protect the land and protect life. And so in verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on, the, on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the golden neck, uh, necklace about his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one will raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphathnah, Pathnah, and he gave him Asnah, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went over the land, went out forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus, Joseph stored up grain in the great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. It's a case study. It's a story, a holy story, about how to make a difference among people who didn't even know your name. Think about who Joseph is at the opening of this as, as Pharaoh calls him. Pharaoh calls and Joseph comes. But what, who is this Joseph who comes? That was like a drum roll. Who is this Joseph who comes to Pharaoh? Well, first of all, he's the firstborn of Jacob, of Israel's first love. Rachel, when, when, jo, uh, when Jacob saw Rachel with her sheep coming to the well to get water and to water her sheep, he fell in love with her. Romantic love is not something we often see in the, in the scriptures, but jo, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. 
when his uncle said, it's not good for you to work for me for nothing. What will be your hire? What will I pay you? He said, I'll, I'll this is my words, I'll do anything. I'll do anything for Rachel. And he says, okay, work for me seven years and you can have Rachel as your wife. But you know the story. Rachel was the little girl. She was the younger sister. And it wasn't proper in that culture to give Rachel a husband before Laban gave Leah a husband. So after seven years, Joseph, or Jacob comes to his soon-to-be father-in-law, his uncle, and he says, give me my wife, for I've worked seven years. He says, okay, let's have a party. They had a party. They spent the day in the evening celebrating, and in the evening, Laban brought Jacob, Leah, in the dark of the tent. And the next morning, Jacob said, I've been tricked. Laban says, don't worry about it, son. Work for another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And he gives him Rachel then, and he's now got two wives. <clears throat> My Muslim friends I, who have more than one wife, and I have a lot of friends who are Muslims because of my missionary work, I always say to them, there is no way you can treat two wives equally. And, and Jacob shows us that that's true. But through all of this time, six sons from Leah, two sons from her handmaiden, two sons from uh, Rachel's handmaiden, ten sons, and Rachel is barren. And then in his old age, God gives Rachel Joseph. There was a special relationship between Jacob and Joseph. The play, the movie, Coat of Many Colors, tells a story about how Jacob, Israel, lavished love on this one son. And of course, as he lavished love on him, the other sons, the older sons, felt jealousy and hatred, and they conspired against their brother, Joseph. On top of this, this one who Pharaoh sends for is a dreamer. And we find in that Genesis account again and again that he receives dreams from God. And in those dreams, he's shown as to be the, the leader of the family, the family bowing down and worshiping him. It's Joseph who's sent for by Pharaoh as a dreamer, somebody who has an inner life with God. And because he was a dreamer and his, was his pride somehow interfered with his wisdom and his brothers were jealous, when his father sent Joseph to his brothers in the field, they said, here comes a dreamer. Let's kill him. And they debate about it. They throw him in a pit. And you know the Ishmaelites come along. The Mennonites come along. And they say, well, let's sell him. He's our brother. Let's sell him into slavery. And so this Joseph, sent for by Pharaoh, is a slave. Somebody hated by his own brothers. And counted as worthy of 20 pieces of silver. 
and he's sent into slavery. But this Joseph finds favor in the hand of God in his slavery, and Potiphar trusts him with his whole house and everything he has. He's entrusted by Potiphar with everything, and Potiphar's wife wants Joseph. And he flees her conniving, leaving his robe behind. And she causes him to go to prison. Not only is this Joseph sent for by Pharaoh a slave, he's a prisoner. But in prison, the chief of the guards finds Joseph to be reliable and a man of integrity and God gives him grace in his eyes and he puts him over the entire prison. He's responsible for everything there. So he's a man, this man that Pharaoh sends for, is a man of moral purity, a man who is known as a leader by those who have him as free labor. And in prison he meets the baker of the of Pharaoh and the cupbearer, which would be equivalent to being the uh, prime minister. <clears throat> and they've been put in prison because of the Pharaoh's displeasure. And they have dreams and Joseph interprets them and those interpretations come true. He was a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. God smiled on him. I'm sure Joseph thought, now I'm going to get out of prison. But he was forgotten for two years. He was forgotten by those who he helped. He was a pilgrim in a foreign land. This is who Joseph is. This is who Pharaoh is sending for. As I looked at him and thought of him, there's so many things of his powerlessness, his helplessness, his dependence on God that spoke to me about you and I as followers of Christ in this great city. But he's a follower of Christ. You know, it's a follower of God. It's interesting in this passage... And in most of the passage about Joseph, very long narrative, his walk with God isn't really talked about very much. It wasn't like Daniel. In Daniel, the, the story of another Hebrew follower of God who's in a foreign land and put in a precarious position we find Daniel constantly praying. We find Daniel standing out as he aligns himself with the practice of Judaism. Well, this is an earlier time. But yet, we don't find much about the, like, the spiritual life of Joseph. We just find these evidences that the Spirit of God, the truth of God is working out in his life. There are some clues. Earlier in in chapter 37, when his father says to him, go to your brothers. They had already shown their hatred for him. They had already shown their jealousy for him. He had already 
embarrass them by showing their, his dreams to them. It would have been easy for this young man, the youngest of these 11 sons, to say, look, Dad, it's not safe for me to go. Send somebody else. It would have been easy for him to say, look, Dad, those guys hate me, and you love me, so don't send me to take care for them. But he simply says, I will go. It seems to me to indicate somebody who's willing to reach out to people who don't necessarily care for him, who don't want his best interest, and be willing to be used of God by them. In another instance, in chapter 39, as Potiphar's wife seeks to do him harm again and again, we see integrity flowing out. We see righteousness flowing out. We see a man who would not take advantage of a power situation that he had and defy or damage his relationship with a man that trusted him. Evidence. Not proof, but evidence of a walk with God. In chapter 40, when he's asked by his fellow jailed prisoners, interpret the dream for us. He says, God is the one who is able. When Pharaoh asks him, he says, God is the, able, the one who's able. God will give you a good answer. He didn't take honor for himself. He didn't claim for himself things. He simply said, God is the one who you want an answer from. And I will work with you in that. I will listen and I will see, seek to hear what God is saying. It seems to me that in this spirit of service, this transparency, this innocence of Joseph, we find the later prophet Micah and what he hears from God spoken in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What, O oh man, does God require of you? But to do justice, love compassion, and walk humbly with your God. It seems to me that we see evidence of that in Joseph. And it seems to me that that evidence, that low-key, that unbillboarded righteousness of Joseph is a good mark for those who would seek to walk in a city that care for God and show them a God who cares. And so he comes... He cleans himself, he shaves himself, puts on clean clothes, goes before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, a prisoner, a slave, man with no credentials at all except his walk with God. And he goes before him and Pharaoh says, look, I've asked the magicians, I've asked everybody I've got under, on the payroll, I don't know what this dream means. And he explains it to him and Joseph says, God will give you an answer. And then God does give him an answer. And Joseph brings all that he is into that moment. Having lived in Egypt for a good portion of my life, I've seen the evidence 
of Joseph. Yes, 3,000 plus years later, I've seen the evidence of Joseph. You can go today to any satellite picture of Egypt and you can see the evidence of Joseph. There is an oasis in the desert in western Egypt that is there because Joseph built a, a canal and raised water from the Nile to deposit it in that oasis and make a lake and increase the farmland of Egypt. You can still see today what is called the Canal of Joseph and the, and the Fayum oasis and lake that Joseph created. He blessed the land and blessed the people, all the people of the region with food and sustenance. He kept the families alive, not for himself, but for God's glory. And as he did it, he became a blessing to his dad. The dad he loved, the dad he obeyed in going to his son, his brothers long ago when he was 17 years old. Now, when he's approximately 40 years old, after seven years of prosperity and then two or three years of famine, his brothers come to him. They don't know him. They don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. Everybody bows down to him. How could they possibly think that little runt of a kid that we hated is now the second most powerful man in the world? And he goes through this complex dealing with how to deal with them. And in those closing chapters of Genesis, we see him inquiring, is your father alive? Is your younger brother still with you? The hunger for his family. And then his father dies at the end of Genesis and his brothers say, now we're going to get it. Now the wrath of Joseph is going to come down on us. And he turns to them and he says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good and for the salvation of people. Joseph, a case study for us. So what does this holy story mean to us? Obviously, Pharaoh is not going to call any of us today, right? You're not too sure. <laughs> but we get called. We get called into a city, into a world, into families, into individual lives where pain exists where confusion exists, where darkness exists, where Jesus needs to be experienced and exalted. So what are some steps for you and I to apply this story for us? Well, the first step is we need to be. 
Be followers of Jesus Christ. Be repentant sinners that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, washed in His blood, and made right with God so we can touch a world that hurts. And if you haven't done that, by the way, today is the day you need to. Today is the day when God can put you on the road to blessing not just your family and not just this city, but a world because Jesus lives inside of you. The second step is a little bit different. It's taking inventory. Taking inventory of who you are. Joseph, as that 17-year-old boy, was filled with a bit of pride and ego, I think, not to judge him, Bible says by what standard you judge you will be judged I don't want to judge Joseph but it looks like a little bit of pride and ego there another drum roll but God works that out of him slaves can't be proud when you're taken into captivity because of doing what's right by someone who's doing what's wrong there's no pride involved And as a prisoner, you have no opportunity for pride. For those years between 17 and 30, God used the grinding stone of life to smooth out the rough spots of Joseph. He took inventory. What was it that God was removing from him? What was God trying to emphasize in him? You and I need to take inventory. The sins that so easily beset me, I need to mark them down and mark them down in black and say, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, by the truth of the Word, in the fellowship of the believers, I will not do that. And I need to quit playing with the stuff that kills. Take inventory. Take inventory of the positive things, the things that God is making in you. The thing that people say, oh, I see God giving you a gift of generosity. I see God giving you the gift of forgiveness. I see God encouraging other people through you. You hear those things and immediately... Immediately, you say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No. Stop. Don't do that. When you are told by people that God has put something in you that's precious, receive it. I know we're taught, don't do that but receive it and practice it. Practice your hospitality. Practice your generosity. Practice your forgiveness. Practice your grace. Practice your giving. Do what God has put in you for his glory, for his namesake, for the good of the family, for the reaching of a city. Use what you have by God's grace. That's what Joseph did. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams and he used it. 
God gave him administrative ability, and he used it. And he used it again and again. And finally, he was a blessing to the whole Middle Eastern world of his day. Take inventory, child of God. Who has God made you to be? If you're a drummer, play with gusto. If you're a teacher, teach with integrity. If you're a servant, serve willingly. Take inventory. And then be open. Be open to be used. God is not just doing what he's done before with who he's done it before with in the places he's done it before. God is looking for people who will go to new places. There are places in this city, all over this city, that haven't been touched. Haven't been touched deeply, lovingly, graciously by the Spirit of God. You know why? Is it because God doesn't care? Nope. We know it's not. It's because God cares through us. And we've been too busy. We've been too distracted. We've been too sure that God wasn't ready to work there. That way. With them. And all the time. God is ready. There's a city out there. Look around. There are a lot more out there than there are in here. And those out there need Jesus in their heart. And the best way they're going to get him is when you and you and you and I live Christ. Like Joseph lived his faith with God. God has business with you and I right now. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak through the life of Joseph. Complicated ups and downs that it was. Speak through, through Joseph to us. Speak through our city to us. Speak through our giftedness that you've given us. Speak through the hunger we have for Christ to be glorified. And use this moment of decision where we sit, as we stand to sing, or as we pray with a staff member. Use this moment of decision to your glory in our lives, in this church, and in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.